Hello, and welcome to SearchCast, a podcast hosted by Isaacson Miller. My name is Rhett Sosby, and I am a people and culture specialist here at the firm and a producer of this podcast, along with Devin Benjamin, our podcast content manager. I'm pleased to introduce today's hosts, Denise Gaffney and Jamie Sands. One of the founding partners of Isaacson Miller's healthcare practice, Denise has conducted leadership searches for academic medicine institutions, teaching hospitals, academic professional societies, and certifying boards. Prior to joining IM, Denise spent 10 years with the Pan American Health Organization, where she served her last three years as the Chief Operating Officer of the Caribbean Food and Nutrition Institute in Kingston, Jamaica. She received her undergraduate degree from Mary Washington University and her master's in public administration from George Washington University. Jamie is a partner in Isaacson Miller's Boston office. She started with the firm in 2008 and has led a number of searches in the academic healthcare space. From deans of medical schools to clinical and basic science chairs to directors of centers and institutes, she's one of the leaders in the healthcare group. Prior to coming to IM, she worked with the national recruiting firm and received her undergraduate degree from Skidmore College. Our guest today is Dr. Rob Wynn, who is the Massey Cancer Center Director at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. Dr. Wynn, a pulmonologist whose scholarship has focused on lung cancer, health disparities, and community-based health care, previously served as Director of the University of Illinois Cancer Center and as Associate Vice Chancellor of Health Affairs for Community-Based Practice at the University of Illinois Hospital and Health Science System. He is committed to developing methods to eliminate health disparities, and he has received national and international acclaim for his efforts to empower underserved patient populations, improve healthcare delivery, and ensure equal access to cutting-edge medical treatments. Dr. Wynn holds an undergraduate degree from the University of Notre Dame and his medical degree from the University of Michigan Medical School. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Wynn, and with that, I'll turn it over to Denise and Jamie. Rob, thank you again for carving out this time to join us. We so enjoyed working with you and getting to know you during the search for the director of the Massey Cancer Center. So this was a historic moment when you were appointed the director of the Massey Cancer Center. Tell us about that. Yeah. And uh, first of all, I want to say I'd like to thank you all for not only your professionalism, but really uh, just for being terrific people. This search process is always a nerve wracking one. So, you know, when it comes to its, you know, a conclusion, it always, you know, particularly when it turns out favorably, it all uh, makes me feel just very good about, about, um, about everything, including, uh, including this job. As you mentioned, um, VCU Massey, um, has been a NCI designated, a federally designated NCI uh, cancer center since 1974. Um, it's important to note that, um, as we are coming up on the 50th anniversary of the establishment of NCI-designated cancer centers, it was historic in the context of my being um, appointed and selected here at VCU Massey because it meant that uh, I was only the second in the entire uh, history of the 50-year history of the NCI program that I was an African-American cancer center director. So it was meaningful for me. Um, It was also meaningful in a sense of understanding that um, I'm the uh, only the the only current African American uh, cancer center director of an NCI cancer center, so all of those things from a historic context uh, context um, were actually important uh, for me and to me, and actually serves as part of the energy of me uh, propelling Massey forward. 
And I recall fondly that you had talked about when we were discussing the search that your grandmother has been a longtime resident of Richmond. Share with us her reaction to your appointment. Yeah, my grandmother actually has, you know, just turned 95 and, uh, you know, we celebrated her birthday on November the 5th. I think that she's been around the block long enough to understand that times are changing. Her reaction was one of not only great pride and happiness for me, but actually a sense of great pride, happiness. And I don't know how to sort of articulate it, but this sense of relief that the place where she had grown up in Virginia in the 30s and 40s could actually have her grandson as an African-American cancer center director be appointed here at VCU Massey meant a lot for her. um, And as she put it, she was happy for me, but she was even happier that at this moment in history that in Virginia, they could appoint her grandson as the cancer center director. And I think that uh, for her, it was just, uh, it was a wonderful uh, coming together of, uh, of events. And uh, I, I don't think she's been, pro- she's been telling everybody about it, by the way. But um, I do think that, you know, she's emblematic of, uh, of, of what my excitement is of being down here at VCU Massey. I think that uh, as we think about Virginia historically, and as we think about where Virginia is in the 21st century, I think that um, we're really proud to be part of something on the leading edge of, of uh, this 21st century and what cancer centers can do, uh, and, and particularly when they can focus on um, you know, our communities, which is really my uh, bedrock of what I do. Yeah, that's so true. So tell us what drew you to this opportunity and to the community of Richmond. I think that there were several things that drew me to the opportunity here uh, at VCU Massey. The first was uh, their historic um, sort of notoriety of being one of the first and one of the earlier handful of cancer centers that were designated as NCI uh, cancer centers. That meant a lot. It also meant that there was a sense of discipline and rigor um, associated with VCU Massey, that they were able to not only get the NCI designation, but maintain it. In my assessment, uh, that really mattered because it also said that there were resources uh, and more importantly, um, commitment from the top. And all of those things factored into the calculus of my final decision of just sort of really trying to say that this is the right place. And 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 um, I have to say that uh, since I've arrived, the uh, administration from President Michael Rao uh, to our vice president, to our deans, to our chairs, to um, uh, honestly, to the senior leadership, even within Massey, has been nothing but supportive But the thing that I found the most surprising and the most delightful has been the acceptance and the support that I've had from the state government, as well as from the community uh, um, throughout Richmond and the entire Richmond and uh, Central Virginia area. It has been uh, really uh, just a delight to sort of be here. So uh, those were my decisions. I I think that they had a discipline and rigor. They had resources. And more importantly, they had an absolute commitment from the top and also enthusiasm from the from the ranks to sort of get this done and uh, to uh, bring uh, Massey to really uh, the next level. And um, just to sort of think back a little bit on your early life, so sort of reflecting back, what was it that drew you to a career in medicine? And was there a particular incident that influenced you or perhaps a mentor? Yeah, I, I would say that... Um, and this is funny when people sort of say, well, how did I end up here? And how did I, how did I end up as a scientist and, uh, you know, someone uh, who's looking at RNA binding protein and a physician? And um, 
I'd have to say that I'm probably the best example of how someone saw something in me before I saw it in myself. And that's also uh, playing it forward, what I want to do for lots of younger people. What do I mean by that? I think when I was growing up, uh, my biggest dream and my ambition was to be the um, youngest foreman working at GM. That, 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 that's my reality. Um, you know, um, my mom had me when she was young. Uh, ultimately, uh, there wasn't anybody really in my family that had gone through college. So I, like many of the people in my neighborhood, really just thought that working at GM would be great. Um, luckily for me, that didn't work out. Um, and so I wound up going to Notre Dame. Uh, and I have to say that at that moment, having people like Father Neil, Father Walters, Father Austin, who ultimately could see the potential in my being a, a doctor really mattered. And um, I, uh, to this day, have nothing but respect uh, and appreciation for uh, for those men who literally saw something in me before I saw it in myself. I'd say that after that, you know, um, having Francis Collins, you know, as an example of, you know, when he was running his genetics class and Dr. Gibson and others like that, you know, at the University of Michigan, when as a medical student also helped. And I think lastly, you know, um, as I was a young junior faculty person, being at an outstanding institution like University of Colorado at the time, which had folks like, I mean, nationally known Paul Bunn and, uh, you know, York Miller and Marvin Schwartz and these folks, it was really an outstanding uh, opportunity for me to really push myself and have them push me uh, to that next level of science uh, and clinical and administrative activities. And so, um, for me, I would say that the the uh, that my example is that we need to then, as leaders um, in our positions, also look uh, for those young people where we see something in them uh, where they may not see it uh, in themselves. And for that, it means that we're going to need to get out of our comfortable zone and looking at the traditional, you know, su- you know, the the typical suspects, you know, where we look at folks, you know, who are from the Stanford's and the Harvard's, which is great. But I think it's time to start casting a, a wider net and looking really at talent that we may have been missing. And so part of my role here as a cancer center director is expanding our ability to look for really talented people. And um, and I and, and that's one of the things I, I really uh, uh, am excited about. That's a it's a great segue into kind of the next topic, because, as you know, Rob, as search consultants, we are so committed to identifying strong leaders from diverse backgrounds. But equally important is the organization's need to have the appropriate environment and culture to attract these candidates. So share with us some of the things that you're doing at Massey to ensure an equitable work environment and to do just that, to increase workforce diversity. Yeah, one of the things we're really uh, I'm most excited about is that our senior leadership already buys into that. It, there's nothing worse than when you're excited about bringing in, uh, you know, uh, diversity into your workforce, but you don't really get support at the top. I can tell you without uh, blinking an eye that um, Vice President um, now and Executive CEO um, Dr. Art Kellerman is absolutely committed to a diverse workforce. Um, I would actually also say that uh, President Rao is uh, committed to a different workforce and a diverse workforce. And most of our deans are like Peter Buckley and other people like that, Dr. Peter Buckley. So things that I've been doing, it is clear that in uh, recent events have actually, in some cases, 
um, I don't want to say forced us, but has given us the opportunity to sort of reimagine and rethink what these workforces could look like. Um, having said that, one of the things I automatically did over the last month or so uh, is that we were now launching a position for a diversity, equity, and inclusion chief for the cancer center. And people would sort of say, well, why would you do that? And um, if I, if I, I've been telling cancer center directors throughout the country that technically, if we are at the same level as a department chair, or in some cases as a college dean, then it's clear that diversifying our workforce is going to be necessary. And to do that work, there has been decades now of really um, of a honing and sharpening the abilities of people within the diversity, equity, inclusion field to help us get that done. So one of the concrete things that I'm doing to actually help us diversify is including a, a DEI uh, sort of uh, chair or chief uh, to sort of help me. The second thing is we've been much more, um, I would say, uh, much more forceful uh, and intentional, I would say, is probably the better word, of getting um, our uh, people from the cancer center, particularly our senior leaders, interacting with the community. I think it's one thing to sort of come up with wonderful ideas and wonderful science projects and wonderful clinical trials. But I do think that if it's one directional, that we have the great ideals and now we're bringing them to the community, that that's good, but that's probably not where we ought to be. The best ideal is what I call the people to pipette sort of philosophy. Hmm. That is that we are getting information from our communities and that will ultimately help us refine the scientific questions. It'll help us expand, enhance, augment uh, and refine our clinical trials so that it actually may be more relevant to the community. And I'm calling this approach that we have here at uh, VCU Massey having uh, we've been pursuing academic excellence all our lives. But now we're at a point where I believe we can pursue academic relevance. And that means we can still publish and we are expected to publish in high impact journals. We're expected to actually do big team science grants and individual R1s. But the additional expectation is this deliberate and uh, intentionality of how does the work impact our communities. And I think that that's what we're bringing a fresh look to. And, and again, that's a, another reason why I'm so excited to be here at VCU Massey, that I would have a senior leadership that supports that. That's fantastic. I think you said earlier that, you know, cancer centers are on the leading, you know, on the leading edge of, of, of what they could possibly do. So just curious that you started to talk a little bit about this, but what are your aspirations as it relates to the future of, of Massey? Unapologetically, I have three. The first is that I believe that as one of the earlier um, NCI-designated cancer centers, it's now time for us to uh, join the ranks of being a comprehensive cancer center. Um, I hope to accomplish that during my tenure. No, in fact, I'm expecting myself to accomplish that during my tenure. Good for you. <laughs> um, I think the second goal is to really be the leaders in the country and having people understand how um, the, uh, uh, the bringing in and the integration of health disparities that it's not separate from basic science. It's not um, an add-on to our clinical science. It's really where it all exists. And I've said to someone that if we really do and think about health disparities and reducing health disparities where we see it, it's not a racial thing. We're talking about not only racial, ethnic, you know, reduction of disparities gap, but we're also thinking about things within rural communities. I mean, Virginia certainly has lots of, you know, high volume, 
packed um, sort of urban you know areas, but we also have a number of rural communities that also need attention, that also have terrible outcomes, as we are now currently speaking with with cancer outcomes. They're, they're not great. And so one of the goals that I have is to be unapologetic about merging in the efforts around health disparities so that it becomes a uh, just as much a foundation of our cancer center as the basic sciences. I think the other thing that I am trying to do with this cancer center is to look at the 21st century and understand that if data is truly king, how are we using big data sets that ultimately can, um, I think, enhance our ability to uh, be able to have interventions within our community earlier. We talk about machine learning, we talk about artificial intelligence, but that all goes with getting good data. So one of the things I'm looking about uh, for this cancer center in particular uh, um, is how do we expand our partnerships um, with uh, big data groups, uh, uh, you know, th- throughout Virginia, but certainly also with the Virginia Department of Health, so that we are now really looking at data in a different way of not just acquiring data and using it just for our academics, but also thinking about down the line how we uh, can disseminate those in an effective way back to our community. So those are my three big goals. And the fourth would always be say, come up with a new therapy. So hopefully our bench scientists will, we have a program called the Molecules to Medicine. So I'm hopeful that one of our one of our folk will be able to come up with that next molecule that will be getting into clinical trials that will actually also make a difference in reducing the burden of cancer. Those are, those are, um, Exciting things to look forward to, and we'll be certainly following along uh, on the sidelines to watch all of that. Uh, but you, you, you mentioned health disparities, and I think a lot of people are reading about health disparities, especially as it relates to, to COVID-19, and that's certainly something that, that's on everyone's mind. And we're curious, you know, there's so much attention on COVID, but we're curious how this pandemic has, has impacted the preventative care measures of detection and, and overall care in cancer patients. Yeah, that's a I mean, that's a really good point. I, I think what the pandemic has done for us is that it has made us slow down a little bit and slow down a little bit. And what do I mean by that? I mean by uh, I mean uh, that we have all been forced to take a moment to really see and to really understand the depth of the disparities that exist within the countries. And the fact that um, sometimes our um, structures um, get in the way of our being able to be the best that we can. What do I mean by that? We're understanding now that um, as we're thinking about health disparities, that health disparities doesn't just mean um, that, um, you know, uh, in this case, African-Americans or Native Americans or Latinos have more comorbid diseases. It has allowed us to think deeper. Uh, in the fact that those people exist within communities, that sometimes the structures don't allow them to have access to fresh fruits or foods, that the structure doesn't allow for them to do appropriate social distancing, that our structures that are built, built environment structures, as well as, you know, um, other things that kind of go into the, the, the sort of structural equations actually also matter. What we've also recognized during this period of time is that as we think about these things that I, and I've been really uh, and I mean what I'm about to say is that racism isn't so much a personal flaw as it really is a failure of our systems and our structures. And so as we unpacked 
um, these issues around health disparities, I'm reminding people that if we were to think of precision medicine, I'm proud to say that I was one of the first PIs on the All of Us program. It was then called the Precision Medicine Initiative back in the day when Obama and the Republicans and the Democrats launched it. But along with Habib Hassan and Phil Greenland, I was one of the original uh, uh, principal investigators in bringing, again, this sort of, um, uh, sort of awareness that precision medicine actually could unlock uh, a, a, a number of new uh, treatments that could help everybody. When I think of health disparities, I think of health disparities as essentially being a subset of precision medicine. So for me, health disparities isn't in conflict with science. It's absolutely integrated in what we profess to say we're trying to do with precision oncology. So in that context, I'm bringing a little bit of that um, framework here to VCU Massey. Um, and what I've found is that a number of basic scientists, a number of our clinical trialists and, um, and physician scientists are really having a clearer way and a clearer way forward of how they can uh, actually participate uh, again in all of our efforts in reducing health disparities. So it's an exciting time. Uh, I am um, incredibly optimistic uh, that as a result of COVID, we are now um, really being able to understand better uh, the depth of the structures and how they contribute to chronic diseases like cancer. But I also think that we're finally grappling with the fact that um, that these things exist. And I attribute that to really having, for the first time in a long time, for most of us, that we've had to pause for a little. And as we pause, um, as, we, as we put things on pause for a little, we've been able to sort of see these things with our own eyes in a little bit more richness and depth. So I think it's great. Rob, is there um, is there anything else that we haven't thought to ask you that you would like to kind of address or whether it's along these same lines or a completely different topic that perhaps you would like to share? Yeah, I, I think that the other thing is, and um, I think that uh, this is where um, I think groups like yours and, and others throughout the country, I, I, this is going to sound a little bit like a squeaky wheel. But I hate the fact that I, at the moment, am the only African-American cancer center director in the United States of an NCI-designated cancer center. I think that if I look, um, and I'm looking towards January 21 and 22, that there was a recent report that came out that looked at the diversity among our senior leaders within our cancer centers. And um, at first blush, we're not doing such a great job. So I think that we definitely have an opportunity uh, working with groups like yours, Isaacs and Miller, that, that you know, the, the funny part is that as we talk about um, not all, what, what can I say? Not all search firms actually, I think, have the same commitment and awareness that this matters. And so I'm really happy to have been working with you all um, because I think that as we look in the future, there is some opportunities to say, how do we think about this differently? Um, sometimes your candidates aren't going to look like the standard candidates, nor are they going to come from the standard places that we have typically done over the last 40 years. And so I think that one of the other things that I'm trying to do is that hopefully by any success that I would have here um, at VCU Massey, I'm hoping that translates into other opportunities for women and other uh, underserved minorities to actually have uh, senior leadership positions of importance. And so I think that um, if there's any other hope, it's not so much for me, um, 
I am really keeping my fingers crossed that I will bring uh, home the uh, comprehensive status. But I hope my presence here as a cancer center director will hopefully open up other doors um, for other minorities and other women, um, because I think that we do and we have a huge number of amazing people out there, a huge number of amazing people out there um, that have just not been tapped into for some of these leadership positions. And I think that once we do that, we're going to be in great shape. Yeah, I appreciate that that commentary. And one of the bedrock and core values of Isaacson Miller is the is the commitment to um, to casting broad, diverse nets and really helping our search committees as well have some uncomfortable conversations as well. Uh, and that's perhaps um, recognizing unconscious bias and and really having open conversations as it relates to to race, racism, and anti-racist work. So certainly more work to be done, but um, you know something that we're we're striving towards one one search at a time. Absolutely, and you know, and I think that this is where I'm an optimist. I really believe that um, as a result of the pandemic, that many of us are coming to to think that way. Um, and um, are also doing the, the uh, uh, what do you call it, moving towards searching uh, as opposed to sorting. And um, when I was an admissions dean back in Colorado, we you know had a tough time. Folks would say I'd have a tough time recruiting medical students to Colorado. Um, I didn't have that tough a time recruiting a diverse group because I, uh, as an admissions dean, I said, what if I wasn't so much an admissions dean, but I was the football coach hmm. or the basketball coach? I would be really... Um, uh, actually, my value would not only be in my win column, but it would be in the column of who do I recruit? And so we went from having struggling with four to five, six percent uh, at risk or minority populations to actually having 27 to 42 when I left. And people said, well, how did you do that? And I said, I searched. I recruited the same way that the coach of the football team has to recruit. And so many of us in academics think recruiting is just, you know, when people kind of show up and then we put on a party for them and we recruit them, that's a part of recruitment. But real recruitment begins before the person even gets to your door. And so I've been really working hard um, with the group here at uh, at VCU Massey, and I'm grateful to you guys, you know, um, because I think you all have the same philosophy that the recruitment isn't when they show up at your doorstep. That, that's not when recruitment begins. Recruitment should begin way before that. And so we're putting a lot more effort into looking at pools and, 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 and figuring out where we can recruit from as, um, as a football coach is at uh, University of uh, uh, Notre Dame in, in Michigan, both the places where I came from. Their goal, their goal is to put up the W's, which is great. And go Irish. We just put a big one up over this weekend. Not to say not a plug for Notre Dame, but it is kind of a plug for Notre Dame. Um, But I think the second thing I recognize by that is that as you look at the great coaches, they not only know how to win, they know how to recruit. And so this is a goal of mine as a cancer center director here at VCU Massey is to get, you know, the grants get the big grants, get the big papers, get the high impact this, that, and get the wonderful clinical trials. But it's also to figure out how we can be very effective at recruiting a diverse workforce. Any other advice that you would give to leaders and organizations who are embarking on searches with that goal of of increasing workforce diversity? Yeah, I would. And that would be that humility matters here. And uh, making someone feel as if they're bringing something to your organization as opposed to having them feel that they should be honored to just be a member of your organization matters to many people. 
And in fact, occasionally I uh, have heard some, uh, you know, uh, you know, senior leaders get really upset that, you know, they had a wonderful, um, you know, uh, minority candidate who just decided to go somewhere else and they didn't understand it. Well, sometimes they don't understand it because there's not the humility to understand that in addition to being at a big name place or at a high important place, it's how do you make people feel? Do they feel welcome there? Are they seen as really bringing value there? Um, and so I think the other piece of, of advice would be to really make sure we have the humility to understand that it's not enough that we are a great place. People need to feel comfortable in those places. And I think we can all do a better job in assessing how we can actually uh, make that better as we move forward. Well, thank you for that advice. And, you know, it, it is about encouraging some of those uncomfortable conversations along the way. But, you know, how, how can people find out about what's happening at Massey and perhaps ways to contribute to the mission going forward? Yeah, it's been wonderful. I've established something called um, At the Center, which is a weekly newsletter. Um, and you would have sort of guessed that we would have already had that, but we didn't. Um, and so there is a weekly newsletter that goes out um, about what we're doing at Massey. Um, I also have now established within the community a monthly um, radio show with uh, one of the, uh, I mean, huge uh, impact players within the, uh, the central, eastern and southern part of Virginia, uh, a person named Community Clovia. And so we're working hard to get the message out to people. Um, but I think that uh, to know what we're up to, it, uh, checking in on the website of At The Center is probably the easiest thing to do. Uh, and we will uh, continue to try to get the word out as much as we can. Fantastic. Thank you, Rob. Yes, it was a real pleasure to catch up with you. Thank you, Rob, for this enlightening conversation. You know, Denise and I wish you and Massey all the best as we look forward to, to a bright new year ahead. And I'll turn it back over to Rhett. Thank you. Yeah, thank you all for that conversation. And thank you to the listener for tuning in. We would love for you to subscribe to this podcast so that you can catch up on our old episodes, as well as be the first to hear new ones. And we'd also invite you to visit imsearch.com for more information or follow Isaacson Miller on our socials, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at Isaacson Miller. Isaacson Miller's podcast content provides general information only and does not constitute recruiting guidance or advice. No representations or warranties are made with respect to the accuracy or completeness of this content. All liability from the use or misuse of Isaacson Miller's content is hereby expressly disclaimed. The content contained in our podcasts should be used only at your own risk.